Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey guys, with sports betting season in full force with football here, you need a sports book with integrity and longevity like BetUS. You may already know this, but BetUS has been pioneers in the sports book industry for almost three decades, thriving and paying their loyal customer base. That is BETUS.com, and they have loads of bonuses. Join now or call 1-800-69-BETUS. That is 800-MY-BETUS. You receive 125% sign-up bonus by using bonus code SST125. That's SST125. They have re-up and referral bonuses. Also, BetUS is known among America's favorite sportsbook for lots of reasons. Bet on team and player props, loads of NFL futures, UFC matches, PGA golf, live betting on most sports. The online casino has hundreds of games. The race books has all the horse tracks. They have every bet type imaginable. Follow my lead and get your phone, online, and sports betting partner with integrity and longevity like I did. BetUS, you bet you win you get paid bet us all right back in the saddle again how about it i'm sure a lot of you out there were wondering hey chris do you need to have another guy that used to do this show with you? <laughs> well, a little thing called the world series got in the way and was both between Houston and Atlanta for the better part of the last couple of weeks. Chris, guess what? We are in the home stretch of college football season, and it is good to be back talking some college football with you. Yeah, it is. And, uh, of course, uh, a lot of the fans in the Deep South, that a lot of them that listen to this podcast, I would imagine uh, if there is a team of the South, it probably is the Braves. So a lot of people are excited about that and sure – watching with that but folks i have been telling the folks here all last week is now it's official we just got three weeks left of what you call the regular regular hectic all day saturday football because then that fourth week is the conference championship week which is fun not as many games and then it's on to the bowl game so to think about that when we're kind of really at the halfway point the nfl it tells you we're down to cases, and I said it on Scout's Eye last hour, is, is, and I'm not done with all my film work, but I watch enough games and take enough notes. I don't know what the hell to do with, pardon my French, about the number two spot. It's just not, you know, I can sit there and make a case for three or four teams at the number two spot and not be real proud about any of it because nobody's really been all that impressive, so – uh, it's going to be who can take the bull by the horns there. But, my friend, just a lot of, uh, 
you know, a lot of football left in the three weeks that's going to – in four weeks that's going to shape the, the rest of this season. But a lot of news and a lot of frustrations that's taken a, taken a place as this season is unfolding. Well, the funny thing is, is to tie the Braves in on this is I think that if nothing else, Chris, you can have the lesson be to your team. If you're a coach right now, hey, look at them. They got hot at the right time. They started to play their best baseball at the right time. And look where they ended up. So there is every single coach out there sure right now saying December and January, that's where we want to be hitting our stride. Yeah, you know, look, it's this is not a um a sport that you get hot and you win it. It's right now to me, clearly it's George's season. It's George's um it's George's world, and I think the only variable is does something happen to Georgia? Do they not step up in the big moment? Because to me, if you take away Georgia, you've got a number of good teams that at points in times look really good. And at other times they look just okay. Good. Other times they look average. So yeah, it's Georgia has been the one consistent dominant performer and we're going to get into it uh, on Thursday's live show on Friday, but that mm-hmm. the Tennessee matchup, I talked a little bit about it last hour that when I want to get into it a whole lot of that's going to be a style matchup that's going to be a little bit different than Georgia's face, but Georgia's been outstanding thus far. There's no question about it. Follow him on Twitter. He is at Landry Football. I am at Dan Matthews ATL. One T in Matthews is how you can find me there. You can also find this in all of the great podcasts that we have to offer here, wherever you get your podcast needs, or also on, or in addition to, I guess is the better way to say it, on Apple, Spotify, and like I said, wherever you get your podcast needs. So that is how you can find us. Chris, let's get right to it. Um, It is something that I think we had seen coming for a while, if Dan Mullen wanted to or not. But seemingly, if nothing else, the hand was forced. And after getting absolutely drubbed by South Carolina on Saturday night, there at least were some people inside the building in Gainesville who said, Dan, it's enough. It is time to move on. And in moving on, that means firing Todd Grantham and offensive line coach John Hevesy. This means that former Georgia linebacker, current linebackers coach at Florida, Christian Robinson, taking over the play calling duties for the defense, Paul Pascaloni, an on-field role now, and also to Michael Saline, I believe is how you say his last name, graduate assistant is going to take over the offensive line. That's a lot to unravel, um, but yet it comes down to this team's play has been so poor. We had um, one of our you know, regulars ask me, um, you know, what uh, on on uh, Friday show, Thursday show, <laughs> you know, is Florida going to have they any trouble in, in, in Columbia? And I said, absolutely not. Florida is in trouble, but there is no chance they're losing to this bad South Carolina team. There's There's no way I even chuckled because, yeah, things are bad, but they're going to win the last four games going to go eight and four and that's not good enough but they're going to go in and try to build off of that watching that of all the things that happen michigan state losing to purdue we talked about it last week uh, dan i thought that was going to happen i thought it was coming um uh, certainly alabama struggles we'll get to that but this game 
was the shocker of, and I know, watch every bit of Florida all year. I know of their problems. Man, I can't tell you how bad that South Carolina team has looked and how ineffective they've been. And my goodness, let's start with the defense. And the Todd Granham move was expected. I think it was one of those things that happens when it becomes so embarrassing that the message is not getting across. When you get boat raced by a team that was struggling to move the football against air, that just tells you that you are not getting it done. We need to just move on, and it doesn't matter what you do. So uh, Ty Granham is out. John Hevesy is a little interesting because he has got a long-time relationship, not that Ty Granham didn't, Right, but John Hevesy had a long-time relationship with Dan Mullen, and I think he wanted to see where his situation stood. And if you look at that run game performance, that was probably the final straw there. Dan, do you realize, like six weeks into the season, this was the best best run, yeah. statistically the best run offense in yeah. the league, and it has yeah. collapsed. So it's like they're all lost the message. They've they've all, as I like to call it, let go of the rope. And so the house cleaning begins. Look, I don't know. I will put a spin on it. Not a spin, but what I believe is sometimes there's a come to Jesus humbling moment to where Dan has got to realize that. uh, And and if he needed help to realize it, he got it uh, in performance. And and with upper administrators saying this this is a disaster. Sometimes if it goes bad, it's better to really go bad to make the change because if it goes a little bad, you feel like you can fix it. You know, Mm -hmm. this is not fixable to the point of they're going to have to go and have wholesale changes. Now, what this also tells me, and I mentioned this last hour, is there's no reason to make any of these moves unless Dan Mullen's coming back. And we all thought I did that Dan Mullen was coming back. He is coming back. Unless something happens between now and the end of the season, that's more than just the off the field. You know, it would have to be something that would be in relation to his relationship with his superiors that would maybe cause the breakage of – But because I don't think you make these moves right now if it's not a strong indication that, look, you're going to be given the chance to fix this. And I'm sure he's had to probably at least give some indicators. But at the end of the year, he's probably going to have to sit down and, and figure out and explain how he's going to fix it. But so there we go. So those that felt like that Dan was going to get fired at the end of the year, the firing of the assistants, I know from the Florida radio folk are not real happy today because they thought maybe that there's a chance that they'd all be fired. That's not going to uh-huh. be the case. So we'll see if Dan can fix recruiting, on-field coaching, because it's clear that this is the first sign and the next guy whose head's on the chopping block is the head coach. I think it's next year, but we'll see if he makes it to next year. I expect him to do so. A couple of things, and then one more thing to kind of you know wrap this topic right here is, number one, this looks like now it is going to be where Florida is going to have to spend some serious money on a defensive coordinator. And I don't know what Todd Grantham was, but I got to believe that he was pretty high priced because at the previous places he's been at, 
That's been the MO on Todd Grantham. Uh, so now I wonder if it is one of those things that you go and get somebody where you have to pay $1.5, 2000000 for a defensive coordinator to come in now and try to fix this defense. The other part of it as well, Chris, is we have seen the golden parachute thrown out before. Well, you know what? I'm going to whack my coordinators, and I'm going to bring in totally new guys. The only time, and correct me if I'm wrong here, but the only time I've really ever seen this fully work was 2017 Notre Dame when it looked like that Brian Kelly was on his way out there and he brings in, uh, I believe it was Chip Lindsay. Is that who he brought in? Mm-hmm. And he brought in uh, Mike Elko and both hires from, worked from Wake. Yep. Right. In, in a 10 win season that year. And he also too, to his credit, he had talked about how he changed a lot of the ways that he coached too. He said the way that he was coaching was not working. So that kind of brings me to the topic right here of, do you believe that Dan Mullen is capable of doing that? Because Chris, it seems like for everything that he has done and said and his actions this entire season, I'm not so sure that a come to Jesus meeting works for this guy. I don't know, Dan. He's going to have a chance to only Dan can answer that. And in, in, in my inclination is that's not been Dan. That's not been his way. Does he recognize that if he doesn't, um, that this is where his career is headed? You know, I mean, at some point, it's like a player. Um, You know, sometimes it comes on and sometimes getting released by a team and getting to another one, it's not just the change of scenery, which sometimes is how you utilize as a part of it. Sometimes it's a realization of, this might be your la- my last chance. I, I'm, I'm going to have to get a job that doesn't pay nearly as well as this one does. And, you know, if Dan doesn't make substantive changes to his approach and the improvement doesn't get to that point within his coaching career, which was a bright star of he was at Mississippi State, he's going back home, to now uh, he's not a guy that can pick up and, oh, could he go and maybe get a job somewhere? Nothing near what Florida is. And I've even thrown it out that his ego was such that last year that he kind of tried to get, well, he got the jets to interview him in a zoom interview. Mm -hmm. It made it come out and it, because it was, look, I'm really good. People really like me. I, I, his, his reputation is damaged to the point. Now that that's not, even that's not going to fly. That's not going to be realistic. So uh, being a coordinator somewhere in the NFL, um, is that what he wants to do? I don't think that's what he wants to do. I think he wants to be a head coach. Well, is you, do you want it to be? I mean, that uh, you want to be the the guy that report, that goes to Connecticut in a few years? I mean, you want to do something like that? Or, and I don't mean that to be in a disparaging way, but this is where his career is now. So I, I don't I don't have the answer to whether he's going to figure that out. I think what it is is, you know, it's in front of him now, and only he can get it. Only he can figure it out. And I think it's going to have to make some changes in recruiting and have to prove that, you know what, I am a really good recruiter, and we can change it around. And you're right. It's not very often that it happens, but he's going to get that chance. Well, we'll see what he makes of it. That is for sure. Let's uh, move on to another bit of headlines, a struggling program who at least performed a little bit better on Saturday, except for one key spot, because Chris, I will say this, we're going to talk about a little bit more when we talk 
Alabama and LSU, but it seems like now at least enough of the patience has worn thin with Max Johnson at quarterback. Garrett Nussmeyer, at the very least, going to get split team reps, first team reps during practice this week and compete for the starting job. I think that means, i.e., Garrett Nussmeyer is going to be seeing a lot more playing time against Arkansas and everyone else for the rest of the season. Yeah, look, I mean, this is, we saw that in the performance. They're playing loose, they're playing a lot of young guys. Why not? Now, I mean, I think why not would be as if Max was lighting it up. Uh, there's no reason to pull him, but it is every reason at this point in the current state of affairs to let as many young guys play um, <clears throat> for the good of the program. Um, and I credit Ed, I, I credit others that have maybe gotten in his ear and said, look, we've got to make some decisions from a roster standpoint. Players have to make decisions too. And where are they going to go? We saw Miles Brennan decide that he's going to leave and for the betterment of his future. I think giving these guys a chance to, to practice and play in a couple of meaningful games, Arkansas and um, in, in Texas A&M and sandwich in between that UL Monroe, I think it's I think it's 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 justified. It makes all the sense in the world, and I don't know what Nussa's going to do. I think it's it's a good opportunity for him. So it's another. Um, ironically, both of these guys are sons of quarterbacks who've played um, both the college and NFL level fairly successfully, in particular Brad. Anyway, so look, I I, I don't I don't look at it as strictly. Well, Max, not the, I, I just think it's about giving opportunity. And again, I don't think Max is just, just lit, light it up. I said last hour that he's got limitations physically and, you know, I think he's got a lot of qualities and I think, you know, better play and a better team and better coach around him. You could have been a little more productive, but I'm curious to see what at least us can do. And, and, you know, we'll see who, which one, one or both of these guys both come back. What does the new coach think? I mean, a lot of things that need to be determined, but they're playing a lot of young guys. Why not at quarterback as well? Yeah, I mean, with Johnson, I was talking with somebody the other day about this, Chris, and I I see a lot of this is coaching. A lot of this is just development that is not there this year. I do think, obviously, like you said, a former NFL quarterback dad, he knows how to play the position. He's got the intangibles. He can do all those different types of things. His feet are all over the place. He has zero trust in his protection up front. I mean, if you have a quarterback in those situations, rush or no rush, they are able to keep their feet a little bit longer than he was on Saturday. And we'll get into this a little bit later on, but I just I see a quarterback who has taken a step back from the quarterback who was so confident last year on the field, in the swamp, against Florida, leading them to a win that they had no business winning. And you almost were able to pull off that same magic on Saturday, but – uh, again, I, I just I, I see poor coaching around him, and I see poor development, and that's where you lead to right now. Speaking of coaching as well, that is the part of this that I wonder with LSU that if there is a way that this coaching search can go, where it is a we know how important the quarterback position is, let's rely upon somebody who is very adept at that spot on the offense. Or is it also as well, hey, we're not necessarily closed off to a defensive guy? Well, no, they're not They're not looking at it. And the head coach should not be an offensive or defensive guy. It should be the guy that's the best leader. I, I've always believed that, and I've always stressed that in searches. I mean, look, if you're going to get a head coach, 
he's going to come from one of those sides or, you know, and some guys in some cases really more recruiters that maybe coach on one side of the ball, but they're not really strong X's and O guys like Ed, like Dabo Sweeney, um, you know, like James Franklin, that they're not really great X's and O guys, but, but they coach on one side of the ball and they're usually good recruiters or usually good in some areas. Ed, you know, a very solid defensive line coach, great recruiter. Um, you know, anyway, I, I just think that when you look at it, you've got to get the best leader and, and you've got to, you've got to put the quarterback coach, the teacher in position, whether it's the head coach that is from that background and have somebody under him that helps with that along his line of thinking, or it's a defensive guy that can do that as well. I, I don't, I think that is so short-sighted in my mind as to we're got to get this guy that get, get the best guy and, and where that may go. Um, look, I, I think that, that, that LSU where they are in their search and I'm, I'm working on, I'm going to get something up as soon as I get a chance to, to get it up here on the LSU search. They, they are, they're making a run at a couple of guys that that are would be considered heavy hitters that I don't know that the chances are any better than 50-50, maybe a little bit less than they're able to get. But they are putting a lot out there with regard to Mel Tucker. And and what I mean by that is they're 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 letting the administration I don't know how to phrase this, uh, maybe sell the fan base on Mel Tucker, meaning and what I mean by that is Mel Tucker is going to take the job if offered. If you see Mel Tucker turn the job down tonight, tomorrow, the next day, it means he's been told that he's not going to get it. Okay. So that's the, I I hate to use this phrase. So please don't take this wrong out there listening. He's kind of the, the floor, meaning he's, they don't need to go below him on their list. So what you've noticed is they've got a lot of people in the in the media market that they're trying to get to, hey, look, this guy is really good, and, and, and I'm not saying it's not legitimate. I think Mel is good, and I think Mel can really be a good head coach at a place like LSU or, or like that. Uh, he hasn't proven it over the long haul. He hasn't been a head coach very long. He's got a very good – assistant pedigree, but he's not maybe as proven as some others. But if they're not able to get that quote-unquote big name, they're trying to sell this as a really good big-name hire, and a lot of what they're doing right now is trying to put that out there. I mean, you're seeing some of their, you know, loyal columnists in the city floating that out there and all that. There's there's a They're pushing that out there to kind of sell that so that if it is Mel Tucker that – the people that maybe you know how this works, fans will hear, oh, no, that's unex-. – and then, you know, you talk about it more and more, and before you know it, people get really excited about it. You know what? That's really good. So you get enough people to say it, people are just like the wind. They're just – they'll go along with it, and and that's that. So that's kind of what they're doing. But at the same time, they're trying to swing for a couple of other big fish, so to speak, mm-hmm. uh, to use another analogy. And if it doesn't work, They've got their guys. So, look, I think you're going to hear some people begin to, quote, unquote, not take their name out of this job, but you're going to hear people whose names have been associated with this job 
either going to re-up with new deals or recommit themselves to their, I'm not saying that Ole Miss or, or anybody's going to do something different or add more money or add more. I, you know, I'm not saying, I'm just saying you're going to hear more and more of those folks say he's staying and yeah, because that's kind of the way it works. They're being told, look, they're going a different direction. So, and, and a lot of these candidates are represented by very few agents, mm-hmm. mainly Jimmy Sexton, uh, Trace Armstrong. And so that's kind of the way you do it. You allow the agent for his client to secure the best deal he can while not announcing what you're going to do to allow him to do it's just kind of the, the cold and the thing that you do in the business. So that's the latest that I can, I mean, I can tell you the way I, it's my read on it. Um, look, Scott Woodard has kept this very, very quiet. I'm glad he has the people in the administration is, not really involved, but it's been clear that they've kind of been given a mandate to kind of kind of deal with that. And then we'll see if he can land a couple of guys that that he would like to land, and and we'll 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 go from there. Uh, I have talked. The, one of the keys to do this is again, if you know Scott's not going to talk, which which I fully fully support and encourage. You know, I have talked with couple of other people that are prominent head coaches that I know that are good friends that, you know, one of them that I talk with that is not really interested in leaving where he is. Um, you know, you know, he's a good friend, talk with him and ask to talk with him, tell him what it is. He sees all the great things about it. It's just not for him at this stage. Right. And I think there are a couple of others that feel maybe a little bit more, like that might be the right thing for him. So we'll, we'll see how it plays out. I think we're going to know in a couple of weeks uh, as we're, as you know, we, we're going to talk about it a little bit. I'm sure a couple of other openings, one opening that has already uh, been, uh, you know, filled uh, to this point and one opening that's not going to come open. <laughs> yeah, we, we will do that in the beyond portion at the end of the show as uh, Chris, of course, alluding to the one that's been filled that is Texas Tech and one that is not going to have an open seat, and that is Nebraska. So we will talk about that to uh, close it out. Chris, let's just uh, get through these games uh, pretty quickly here from last week's portion of the SEC schedule. Some good, some not so great. Let's start first with you mentioned it early on in the show, Georgia just continuing to show that they're the best team in the country, 43-6 to over Missouri. Stetson Bennett. Good, not great. 13 of 19, 255 yards, a couple of touchdowns. JT Daniels, 7-11, 82 yards, had a touchdown, interception, ball kind of thrown a little bit behind the receiver, gets tipped up in the air, gets intercepted. It's kind of a bad luck play there, but that's how it happens. But 11 different receivers getting catches in this game. Yeah, there's no doubt. I mean, they're, they're, you know, I think the defense we know about, what they're able to do, it's kind of legendary status there. And with – Without Connor Basilak, they, you know, you didn't think they would be able to do much, and they were not. So really, offensively, started off pretty slow, but they were able to make enough explosive plays in the game. Uh, I thought the quarterback play was was pretty good. I mean, the the um, the ball to Arian Smith was where it needed to be, and I, I think that Stetson plays with a lot of confidence there. Um, you know, I think the running backs, you know, played really well. I thought the receivers and the tight ends continue to play well. 
Uh, I thought the offensive line had a really good, uh, solid performance. Uh, over on the defensive side, um, outside backer play was outstanding again. Man, just so really good. The defensive line was very good. thought the inside backer play was outstanding. Dean and Tendo and Walker, really, really good. But the secondary, you know, played really well. They're getting pretty good play at the star nickel position. Um, so really, really good, solid on special teams. Uh, dominant performance, no, no question about it as they move on. And now it's just about um, – seeing what they can do with the tempo of, of Tennessee. And we're going to get into that more later in the week, but that's probably going to be their biggest challenge. Well, it will be their biggest challenge in my view until they get to the SEC championship game. Who knew, right? I mean, how strange is that, that that's what it's looking like? Oh, like, oh man. Yeah. Credit, it says a credit, lot about a lot. Yeah. I mean, but credit to Josh Heifel that. though. Yeah. And we'll talk about, Josh Heupel and his team here in just a couple of moments. Uh, let's uh, go next to uh, Alabama and LSU. Alabama, I mean, look, this is one of those games that you thought to yourself, and I didn't hear Nick Saban on Monday, but maybe he did yell at the media about it because these are the Nick Yells games uh, right here where it's, oh, is winning a football game not good enough? But, Chris, let's just be honest here. The moral of the story is, and I touched on a little bit when we talked about Max Johnson and Garrett Nussmeyer, Capable quarterback play and capable the offensive play calling in that game. LSU pulls off a huge win and they're five and four right now. We're talking about LSU and then also too about Alabama and the problems that they have. But instead, it's a whoo close win for Alabama. They're still alive. I, I think it's more of the former than it is the latter. Well, if you look at Alabama, this is the first time in forever that they haven't scored 30, uh, 40, uh, 30 points in a game. Just, you know, just they score 30 points now like it's nothing. And it was the season low yards, season low, well, not just season low for a number, number of seasons low. Why? Um, look, I think we need to give LSU some credit, but, but I also think we need to look hard at this Alabama team because that's the team we need to put under further scrutiny is they're the ones that still playing for an awful lot. I didn't think the running backs played very well. They did nothing. Think about that. Six yards? I mean, are you kidding me? They can't run the football. They didn't try really running it. I think they're losing that identity quite a bit. Um, that was a problem. I didn't. I thought the receivers made some plays, and I thought they were fairly effective overall, but they left some plays on the field. The offensive line um, continues to be an issue. Now, you, you, you have further issues with Dalcourt goes down in the game. And so you got Chris Owens, who struggled at right tackle. Now he's at center. And Damian George, backfilling for Owens at right tackle. You know, first of all, if you look at what Alabama struggled with, particularly against A&M, blitz pressure. Their offensive line issues, it's a real problem. They're not winning up front. They're not winning in the run game up front. They're not winning in pass protection. It's a big-time issue. I thought the pass protection made some adjustments and improvements in the second quarter, but it came back in the third quarter and into the fourth quarter, and then false starts. When you're struggling there, you, you lead to more mistakes. Just, you know, offensively was a really, really bad game. Defensively, um, I thought the defensive line played fairly well. I thought the linebackers played fairly well. I didn't think the secondary played as well, but not bad. I mean, they had six uh, um, pass breakups in the game. 
Um, obviously, uh, Kool-Aid came in in the second start. And I, look, I mean, I, I thought they did some good things defensively that uh, they came up big. I mean, they came up big when they had to do it. I thought that um, that LSU, you see the talent that they have and you see that they played hard. They're also playing loose. They're also playing, you know, and you could say, well, they they could just, you know, play it out. Well, they could, but it's a credit to them. It's a credit to the staff. But it's also, I think, probably getting the point across to the young players. Look, you're putting on film. That's your resume for your next coach. And so whether you're going to have a future here, whether you want to have a future here, it's you got guys that are going to be part of the future or going to want to have a part of the future here mm-hmm. as opposed to guys that maybe are moving on. And so they're playing guys that are playing hard. They're not. And I just think that to me, this game, it said a lot about LSU. It says more about Alabama. What is Alabama? Who is Alabama? Alabama has been woefully inconsistent. And I think the reason why Nick Saban has taken approach He's not taking that approach after games like, you know, this team is, you know, is, 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 you know, too cocky or whatever. I think apparently knowing him as well as I do, this team is working really hard. I don't think they get, I don't think there's much leadership. I think there's a lot that was lost on this team that just hasn't been filled the offensive line. I think Will Anderson is good as any player in college football, but there's yes, not there's not you know the difference makers around him to the degree that it has been. I think what it is is a lack of leadership. There's a lack of certain guys in certain spots relative to what Alabama normally is. It's their standard, right? Mm-hmm. You got to be at that elite level, and they're not playing at that. And they're tied. They are up and down. I mean, they are up and down, man. Their stretches. Again, easily could have lost that game. That's the lesson there. Most of the game, I have seen them play this way. Florida threatened, and they were in danger against Florida, but it it looked like at least at the end with LSU with the ball in their hands and who knows what's going to happen. I mean, that is not something that I ever thought would be the case going into the game this past weekend. So I do think that there's an issue. There is, um, you know, I, I just think that things are different with this team. And I just don't know that this team has the national championship pedigree. But I will say I don't know who the second best team in the country is. And while I don't think it's Alabama, I'm not really proud to nominate anybody else. <laughs> well, Chris, I, I, I actually want to go ahead and throw out there that it's that they're not able to get as many of the guys that they used to be getting in terms of recruiting. And the the four and five stars are starting to say yes a little bit more to other teams than they have been to Alabama in the past. I mean, that might be starting to stack up too. Well, you've got a few of those, though, that are not playing, that are freshmen. So they're not ready. Um, they're not mature enough or – something's there. They have lost a number of guys. I did mention that if you look at the defensive line and the offensive line, to have that gap where you don't have as many. There's been, I went back a few weeks ago, 
and I talked about there were five, four or five-star defensive linemen that Alabama did recruit that are no longer on the team. So it's not that they're not getting them, Dan, is that when they've gotten them, not all of them are as good as people assume that everybody's going to be as good as the guy before and and not everybody is. So those five, you know, are not as good. Um, You know, so they they didn't pan out. The offensive line, Brockermeyer, those guys are not ready. Are they not going to be as good? Or are they going to be good a year from, you know, to be determined. So I think there's a little bit of a gap. And I think we just, it's a lesson that even at Alabama, relative to what they normally are, it doesn't mean that every team is going to be as good as every other team that Alabama has. And if you take Georgia out of the mix, you know, how does it look? I mean, right now, this appears to be Georgia's year, the Georgia talent, the Georgia depth. They look like the they look like Alabama normally looks, right? Mm-hmm. So it looks like oh things well, but again, Alabama looks like that more often than not. And when they're not this year, that says, Well, what's wrong? Well, the reality right. is is like, well, what's really wrong is they're just not as good as they have been. And I don't know that you can expect them to be as good every year as it was last year, or you know, some years it's not gonna be as good as the others. High expectations is a dangerous business, and nobody knows that more than Nick Saban. That is for sure. All right, let's move on to Texas A&M over Auburn. Not a single offensive touchdown scored in this game. The only time that someone got in the end zone, Chris, a scooping score. Michael Clemens taking it the other way. And then you got the two-point conversion from Zach Calzada to Anias Smith. Uh, Calzada okay in this game. I think if nothing else, Chris, he has shown that he is tough as nails. I mean, he has the banged-up ankle against Alabama, comes back out there afterwards on the field. Speaking with Texas A&M's radio team, he says, I had to get back out there. We had to win the game. And then this week, had the shoulder come out of place. They're throwing it back in, and he's back out on the field to try to beat Auburn. And all things considered now with Texas A&M, Chris, this is a fan base now who probably looks at it and says, the Arkansas game, yeah, we probably weren't really in that game from beginning to end. That Mississippi State loss is hurting a lot more right now because we would be talking about a team right now at Texas A&M, Chris, that if they didn't have that stub toe against Mike Leach and Mississippi State, we're talking about them taking on Georgia in the SEC championship game and not Alabama. You're probably right. And I say probably because I wonder what happens in that Mississippi State loss if it didn't spur on some changes that may have allowed them to take that step against Alabama. So I, I, we'll never know. Had they won against Mississippi State, would they have beaten Alabama? You know, the, the assumption is, well, yeah, eh, maybe, maybe, maybe not. I, I, That's true. I, I, I'm with you, though. They, they didn't do a good job against Mississippi State, and they struggled defensively making some mistakes since then. Since then, this defense has looked as good as anybody's in the country, with the possible exception of Georgia's. It it since then they've been maybe as good. It's been dominant defensively. They get after you. Look, it's not just about 
and breaking down the tape. I watched it. I broke down the tape. It's not about Auburn's. This was pressure-induced. They absolutely just annihilated Auburn's front. It was impressive. And offensively, A&M ran the football. They had 409 yards of total offense. They're running it, and they're playing good defense. And look, Calzada's tough. Go back and look at that game, though. People looking at it, and they see stats, and they look at highlights, and they're watching it. I watched it, and I saw it when I went and looked at the tape, Dan. Calzada played better than I think people know. A lot of drops in that game. Mm-hmm. Could have made a difference. Probably a couple of offensive scores in that game if there's not drops. Now, ifs and ifs. So some of that's on the receivers. I look at this it's A&M team, and I do think that from a passing game standpoint, they're not quite as good. But I think that is inconsistent play at receiver and I think at time inconsistent reads and play by Calzada. But you're right. He's tough. And, you know, I, 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 if I said right now, and I said it last hour, I, I, that A&M is the best team in the West playing right, right now, they're playing better than Alabama. I, I would have to say right now in the moment that they probably are, um, yep. you know, and, and look, they got the, they got the win over them. So heck, why not? Uh, very, very impressed. Um, but a lot of drop and, and Wiedemeyer, Dropped four balls that you don't were really that critical him. in the game. Smith dropped one that would have been a first down and gotten them out of trouble on their own end. They had three straight three and outs inside their own 20. Somehow survived, you know, with, with no points. So they, the, those, when you look at it, moving it effectively, the drops were a big part of the contributing factor towards their offensive inefficiency. This team's really good. Uh, I think they're going to, they're going to um, – we'll get into the Ole Miss game. going to be an interesting matchup, but very, very impressed. How about Tennessee? Speaking of impressive, 45-42 went on the road against Kentucky. Hendon Hooker, again, on that same theme, impressive. Four touchdown passes, 15 of 20, 316 in the game. Chris, don't look now. The balls are 5-4. and four. And there's at least two more winnable games on this schedule for Tennessee. You've got the game at the end of the year against Vanderbilt. That's a win. And you've also got South Alabama on the schedule. That's a win. Chris, chalk holds. Year one for Josh Heupel. This team is likely going to go seven and five. If you've told anybody, I'm sitting at the end of the bar right now in, in, in Knoxville, Tennessee, and I say, hmm, guess what, guys? End of the year, you're going to go seven and five. I probably would have had people looking at me like I had four heads on my shoulders <laughs> because they would have said with all that we lost Wanya Morris and, and, and every single player that we lost in every single bit of defensive depth. And the fact that the NCAA is breathing down our next seven and five. Are you crazy? Credit to Josh Heupel and that coaching staff at Tennessee. He's done a good job. Um, it makes me wonder because when you're not coaching them, you don't know, but um it took them a little while to figure out that Joe Milton can't play. If they'd mm. figured that out earlier, they'd probably win the pit game. Um, that was a, oh, man, was a was a game. Um, you know, was it Hendon not playing well, practicing well, yeah, uh, well enough to earn it? I, I don't know. Um, but they look really good. Very impressed. Dan, the most unbelievable thing, I mentioned it last hour, they had like 13 minutes of time of possession to like 42. 
they scored it all on explosive plays. Kentucky, I mean, it's like it's the tempo that gets you misaligned, and boom, they just scored. It's just it it you know it's the explosive plays that they get. Um, and I mentioned it last week. I said, look out, Kentucky. I said, because Kentucky off the Mississippi State game last week, everybody thought, oh, they're going to rebound. I'm like, look out, look out. It's a tempo game. Run the football on their defense. Control the game that way. Well, Kentucky did it. They did it. They did just that. They couldn't stop the big plays. I mean, there was 1,037 yards of total offense in this game. But, you know, it was a pick six. Mm-hmm. That that helped the Vols here. So while it wasn't a lot of stops, they they just get enough big plays. And look, I thought Kentucky did some good things on offense. They had Chris Rodriguez back, probably win the Mississippi State game if he's healthy and playing. It's 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 great for Tennessee. Five wins, six wins tops. I thought um, seven is phenomenal. And we're going to see what they can do tempo-wise against Georgia. Going to be a lot of fun. But it's a fun game. Disappointing for Kentucky because they're thinking they're going 11-1, and right? I mean, it was like, look, you're pretty good. And the East sucks. Let's just call it what it is. I mean, it's bad. South Carolina is bad. And I know we'll get to that in a second. You know, Florida's down. Missouri's bad. You know, Vanderbilt's bad. I mean, just eat, just eat up on that. And, you know, of course, you, you get Tennessee this year. They lose to Mississippi State, they lose to Tennessee. And, you know, I'm not getting any more questions about why are you not talking more about Kentucky as a, a outside playoff. I'm like, come on, let's beat somebody good. And that was before the Mississippi State game. The reality is 9-3, and three, and I think they can get there, is going to be disappointing, which is in and of itself a statement on the East and a statement on, you know, maybe where the expectations are with Kentucky now with Mark, um, that they're going to be disappointed with 9-3. and three. I thought 9-3 and three at the beginning of the year was great. Now it, it just doesn't look or feel as good because they're just sure. stumbling down the stretch. Yeah, I get it. And it also shows you the expectations in such a short amount of time that he's created there at Kentucky for football. I mean, because 9-3 and three, most years, it has said, oh, my gosh, this is amazing. How did you do that here? Now it's, ah, man, you were supposed to win maybe even 11, 10 this year. Kind of disappointing, Coach. So I'm, I'm, just disappoint- I'm just disappointed in the defense, though. How many, yeah. how many, yeah. how poorly they're playing against the pass. That's what's yeah. killed them. And I don't, I don't see Vanderbilt doing it. But I got to tell you, um, I just, just be careful against Louisville at the end of the year. You know, I, I, I don't think they'll lose that. But right. defensively, I'm, I'm just a little bit surprised that how they're losing it down the stretch. Georgia threw it on them. Mississippi State mm-hmm. threw it on them. Kentucky threw it on them. Um, eh, you know, just interesting. It's offensively they're scoring points, but. Mm. Let's uh, let, let's get to these final three games here pretty yes. quickly before we get yes. to the Nebraska and Texas Tech. Uh, South Carolina, 40-17 to 17 win over Florida. We talked about the storylines from the Florida side. For South Carolina, Josh Van, somebody that they've been waiting to come on for a while, Chris. Seven catches. 111 yards, a touchdown in this game. Third-team quarterback, Jason Brown now. A couple of touchdown passes in this one. I talked about it with Tennessee. South Carolina's path to a bowl game is a little bit tougher. 
if they can go on the road this week against Missouri and win, which I think they can, I don't think that that's going to be trouble. But right now, the Gamecocks find themselves a game away. And for a guy like Shane Beamer, who is trying to really rebuild this program, Chris, an extra 13th game this season would do wonders for that South Carolina program. It would. And look, I want to, I want to give all the credit, all excitement. This is about Florida and what Florida couldn't do. I just, I just don't, uh, I don't know. You're right. Missouri, they can win that. Missouri's bad, but that could go either way. They're not going to beat Auburn. And you know, look, Clemson's not scoring a lot of points. I still expect them to lose that. We'll, we'll see. To me, I think we're going to see it the, the rest of the way. But I, I, they just don't have a lot. This is a team that can't move the football against anybody. And as we said at the beginning of, of this, this show, um, <laughs> what was Florida? I mean, th- this to me was more about what Florida was. And, and, and I want to give all the credit. And I'm not glass half full type of guy, but just – I didn't see a whole lot that impressed me other than the fact that they took advantage of Florida. And that's what you're supposed to do. Cause you know what? They could have played just as poorly with a lack of energy, a lack of focus. And, and Florida could have got out of there with a, with a 23 to 17 win. They scored 40 points. They dominated this game. So to me, the attaboy is they not only won, but they kicked Florida. I mean, they jumped on them. They stayed on them. And they they never let them up, and, and that that was impressive. So, is that something to build on? I'm hoping I'm hoping it builds for them something into the off season into the recruiting. Yeah, they sure need it. I mean, that is a program that from 2010 to 2013 had as good a run as anybody in college football, and what they were able to do and the talent that came through there at that time. And that's a fun atmosphere when it's rocking. If you've been to williams Bryce oh, Stadium, yeah. when it is packed to, uh, to to the top of the stadium, and you got the towels going, you got the sandstorm, you got the cabooses outside for tailgating, it's a really fun place to be. So I think that Shane Beamer is trying his best to try to replicate that as best he can. Easier said than done, there's no doubt. All right, uh, final couple of games. Uh, let's start first with uh, Ole Miss over Liberty. Of course, the storyline of this one, Hugh Freeze coming back to Oxford. Matt Corral looking good in this one, 20 of 27, 325, or 324 for a touchdown. Malik Willis, on the other hand, a lot of pressure on him on Saturday afternoon, Chris. Three interceptions for the Liberty Flames quarterback who came there by way of Auburn, of course. Yeah, I want to give a little credit to Ole Miss's defense. I thought they did a pretty good job. You know, it was about the quarterbacks in the game, no question about it. Um, you know, Liberty – you know, put up 14 points in the second half. It just, um, I thought they did a really good job. Um, you know, they, I thought Ole Miss needed to create some turnovers. They did just that. They turned over Willis three times and, um, didn't allow a throwing touchdown, which is really impressive. So, um, we'll see where they go from here. They're banged up. Ole Miss is, um, good win for them. Um, and, and wasn't as close as the 27, 14 score indicated, because they really had this game put away in the first half. Corral was solid again. Um, you know, I I know the couple of tough losses, and we'll we'll see what happens this week. But uh, at least a good to stop the bleeding there and uh, uh, for the reps. Finally, Arkansas over Mississippi State, thirty-one twenty-eight. The Hogs are bowl eligible, Chris, for the first time since twenty sixteen. Good for them on that. KJ Jefferson. 
a touchdown pass to Traylon Burks in this one. And also, too, of course, what the national media was all talking about after this. The missed field goals by Mississippi State. And then Mike Leach afterwards saying, uh, hey, if the NCAA says it's okay, come on out and kick field goals during practice for us because I want to make sure that we have somebody that can put the ball through the uprights. But moral of the story is you didn't make the kicks. You lose the game. Arkansas, credit to them, credit to Sam Pittman for being able to get his team back in to bowl eligibility. We'll see how they look this week against LSU. We'll see. I mean, likely there's a win for them at the end of the season against Missouri. Chris, there's a chance that this Arkansas team could finish eight and four. Yeah, it's again, you know, great story, good team. KJ Jefferson was very impressive, particularly late in leading that drive. Um, he was six for seven, four different targets for 45 yards on that final drive, ran the football. Uh, Dominic Johnson is becoming, you know, the sophomore tailback needs more touches. She's really, really good. I think he's starting to develop in a big way. Trey Williams got back, created some havoc for him. Uh, I thought Cam Little uh, really did a good job. Um, look, um, Traylon Burks is is, um, is is just outstanding. You know, the Mississippi State, you know, I, I thought they played. The offensive line was pretty – I thought the backs ran well. The offensive line not quite as good. I thought the receivers, quarterback play was good. I thought defensively they struggled at the second level. I didn't think the linebackers of the secondary played well. And, the, and the, uh, look, the, the special teams were poor. I don't think there's enough emphasis on that at the Mississippi State. And I addressed it last uh, hour. I just, you know, it irks me. Um, I, I think Mike Leach can be a jackass at times. I think he's always looking for the quip. You know, it's never about him. So mm-hmm. it's never about, you know, my poor coaching. It's, you know, it's the fat little girlfriends, whatever, you know, it's always the something that he's got to say. Um, and it's always to take the attention away from him. Um, look, he's responsible for getting the kickers and everybody else. And when you don't make kicks, uh, a kick, the kid's probably doing, trying to do the best job that he can. Um, and he's not good enough. That That's on you. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and as a head coach, so uh, the, I, we're going to – that whole little diatribe, I'm going to be cute. Uh, you know, um, you know. I had the – you know, it's one thing you're going to be goofy and talk about candy corn when somebody asks you. That's harmless. When you're going to talk about that, um, you know, it's fine for us to say, ah, kickers, those damn kickers. You know, I get it. Um, that doesn't go over very well. And, you know, maybe that's part of the relationship that – when you, you know, we talk about, okay, we say this, there, but there's an arrogance that goes along and we talk about Dan Mullen. You yeah. know, it's not real popular when you're kind of winning and doing well. You know, that's, that's Mike Leach as well. Mike, Mike doesn't recruit well. He's arrogant. It's never about him. Nobody ever out coaches him because he's too smart for that. It's, you know, it's, it's the same thing here it's just the expectations are not as big and he's had some success but look i i think this is uh this is another sign for mike for what he is i just i think those things are uncalled for and i don't know if he thinks they're cute i think he throws it off just like dan mullen is awkward i think i want to call it out and look i i, I will sit there and talk about 
when he does a good job and he deserves credit. I talked about it last week. Dan, he ran the football 35 times against Kentucky. Wow, attaboy. I gave him a bunch of attaboys. So I don't want to pile on somebody, but somebody's going to act like a jackass. It's my job to say that's a jackass move. And somebody does that same guy does a good job on a set. So I, um, that's my thoughts on it. And we'll see where they go. And uh, the rest of the way, they've got, in my opinion, an Auburn team that's uh, going to be an interesting matchup there. And then uh, the Egg Bowl, we'll see. M- maybe, maybe he make amends. Maybe uh, he he's the next guy that starts to feel some heat in Starkville. Yeah, we'll see. Are there some friends of the show you want to tell us about today? Some friends of the show. Yeah, but LandryFootball.com that you wanted to tell us about. Oh, yes, I'm sorry. I do. Thank you. Thank you. That's why you are the, the lead guy here. I do want to tell you about my good friends at BetQL Daily. Do you feel like the last one out when it comes to sports betting? I know I do. Don't know where to start? I know I do. Understand where the market is moving, which smart bets are out there, and have some fun listening while you're at it. BetQL Daily, sponsored by FanDuel, is the must-listen show for sports bettors and sports fans alike. They're really good listeners. They're fun. They're informative. They're very helpful. Joe, uh, uh, Host Joe Ostrowski, Joe Gigolo, and Eric Hackworth serve up a lot of good entertainment sports talk. If you're not sure where to start with sports betting, start with BetQL Daily, presented by FanDuel. Listen weekdays, 9 a.m., to noon Eastern on Odyssey, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. And BetQL Daily would like to thank Dan Matthews for saving Landry's ass once again because, you know, I just get talking football and I forget about my friends. So thank you, Dan. BetQL Daily thanks you as well. Every good double play tandem has to start with someone fielding the ground ball. I just fielded the ground ball. I flipped the tee at second. We turned the double play. We're all good. So final uh, baseball analogy we're going to have here on the show. I agree. I agree with our guy Spartan Bartman that says uh, that says uh, he's he's just absolutely you know you you, you're the glue that uh, that uh, this what is it that the star that the the straw that stirs the drink is what Reggie Jackson used to say. So he's our Reggie Jackson, our home run hitter. Yes, I agree with you, Spartan Bartman. He's the he's the superstar. The, the glue that binds the book, I, I, I think, is the other one. There's there's a lot of them out there. We'll we'll find them for another time. All right, uh, let's do a, a quick Beyond segment yes. here because uh, the uh, coaching changes are a plenty. Let's start first with Nebraska. Chris Trev Alberts, the athletic director there. Which, by the way, I, I think many of our listeners would probably. Did you know that Trev Alberts was the athletic director at Nebraska? Probably some would say, "Hmm, I did not know that." Well. He is the athletic director at Nebraska, and he announced that Scott Frost is going to be back. They're going to restructure his contract, but not coming back. And already moves being made there with two games left in the regular season for the Cornhuskers. Offensive coordinator and receivers coach Matt Lubick. Yes, that Matt Lubick, the son of Sonny Lubick. He is not going to be back. Offensive line coach, running game coordinator Greg Austin, not back. Running backs coach Ryan Held, same deal. And quarterbacks coach Mario Verduzco no longer with the program. Yeah, the the plan was, and I'm working on a piece for this for LandryFootball.com as well uh, to look for this. That as um, as Trev looked at it, obviously Scott's one of their guys, and I mentioned this that if you watch Nebraska play, they play hard, they play fairly well for stretches. They have a lot of mistakes in finishing games. They are they kill themselves 
we I use the phrase you, in, the first step to winning games is to learn how to not lose them. No one loses more close games than Scott than Nebraska does under Scott Frost. And so, uh, obviously, uh, those four coaching moves, and I think there'll be others. They've got to remake what they're doing on special teams. I think they feel like they want to see if they can't build off of what the positives of which they had, because it's not like they're not competing. It's not like they're not trying. It's not like everything is dead. And the, they've made a lot of changes. And here's somebody that they truly want and they truly believe in. And I said a couple of weeks ago that I I was worried about Scott because it didn't look like he had the answers. And now I think he obviously in the meeting, he kind of expressed of, this is what I think I can do to make it better. There's enough confidence in to bring him back. So good for him. And let's hope that they're able to make the type of substantive changes because while everybody seems to be in it in the West of the Big Ten, uh, Nebraska's not because they cannot finish games to save their lives. They're a mistake waiting to happen, and that's unfortunate. Well, I think the other part of it as well too, Chris, and I mean you're probably a little bit closer to it than I am. I think that Trev Alberts – had that meeting and said, that's good enough for me because I think there's also too a feeling from him. We can't keep chasing our tail on this. Like we, we can't keep trying to find the next guy, the next guy, the next guy, and hoping that eventually some continuity is going to be built overnight. And we're going to be able to turn this thing around because I think he looks at the pool that is out there along with the pool that he's going to be going against and says, we're not first in line. We're not second in line. Hell, we might not even be fourth in line right now. So I think that sometimes, as I've heard you mention before, about meeting with administrators and meeting with programs and saying patience. I wonder if that's what Trev Alberts finally just decided and just said, you know what? Patience is the better play here. I'm sure I'm going to have some in the fan base that are going to say this is ridiculous, make the move, but He's probably saying, look, I'd much rather go with what I know right now than try to take a guess about something and probably just continue to repeat the process. He's been there four months as the athletic director. So he and he's he knows Scott and I think he wants to give him the chance to fix it. And obviously it's going to be things have got to change for the positive next year. And it makes it a little bit more amenable to to move on next year than this year. I think there's enough positives there to say there's something to build on. It's pretty clear what they can do and what they can't do well, but the team hasn't quit. In fact, to the contrary, they've played very well consistently, but they need some help and it's going to be up to Trev to try to help them do that or else, you know, they're going to have to go in a completely different direction. And you're right. This is not the job that they can go and pluck someone that is the elite guy and they're getting someone that had success at central Florida. And I think he wants to have time with them to go from stem to stern to figure out what was working at UCF. That's not working here. What is sustainable? What needs to get done? I think they actually play pretty good defensively. Um, I think there's some things that Trev could maybe help. And I think he feels like, you know what, maybe I. this is the first offseason he's going to have with him, and I think he's going to help, and I think Scott's willing to do it. And I think the restructuring of his contract for 2022 makes it a little bit easier. It was a little bit of a Jim Harbaugh-ish type thing to where, you know, um, 
he was willing to do that. I think all of that says that, look, Scott wants to be there. He wants to make it work, and they want it to work for him. So all that put together is the reason why they're going forward with him. And let's move on to Texas Tech as they decided to go ahead and make a move. Matt Wells out. And now they go to a man with strong ties in state. Baylor associate head coach Joey McGuire is now going to be the head coach. And for those of you that don't know Joey McGuire, the Cedar Hill program in the Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex has always been a very good high school football program. So that's one box that he checks right there, Chris. He's got great relationships within the Texas High School Coaches Association there, which is a great network to be a part of. And also, too, I think that Texas Tech kind of looked at it and finally said, Chris, hey, we got to take a step back here in terms of thinking we're a program that can plug a head coach in and be able to win. I think they finally realized, let's go grassroots level with this. Let's go somebody who does know the high school landscape in the state and somebody who can be able to make good on those relationships and rebuild this program into being what we hope it can be. Well, they they probably have an expectation that's a little bit higher than, I mean, they think they're an elite program or can be elite. They're really not. They went out and, you know, they had Cliff Kingsbury. Um, he was one of their own. Uh, it didn't work. So they go out and hire a proven coach in Matt Wells at Utah State so that we want to get that proving guy. He comes in and it doesn't work. Well, now we want the Texas guy. Well, mm-hmm. uh, I don't, I don't think they made this move with the idea that they were going to get Sonny Dykes, but I think they were hopeful to get Sonny Dykes. Right. That's not going to happen. Sonny, if he's going to leave, I think TCU is something that's more appealing to him or maybe even something else. He wasn't going to go back home where his dad goes. So they're getting a Texas guy. Joey's a good coach. It brings back the roots. Now, can he recruit and shake the leaves down to get players to go at Texas Tech that can compete at a level that's high enough to win at a big-time level that they think they can win? I don't know. Uh, but they're, they're trying. Um, you know, I think they were frustrated a little bit with Matt that the strength that they thought they would have in him, that it would be a tough physical developmental program. And I, I thought they were some loose ends that on the field coaching that was disappointing on a consistent level. So they're going to try a different way. That's what you try to do. When you make coaching hires, college or NFL, you, ap- you usually end up going different than what you have. you got a guy that's, you know, not real, real loose. Play, you get a disciplinaire and you get a disciplinaire. We need to get a little more player friendly. You get an offensive guy. You just you go the opposite of what you have, and that's what's going on here. All right, real quick mailbag here to uh, close us out here. Appreciate everybody catching up with us here. It's good to be back with everybody as well. You see the World Series hat I have on my head. So a little bit of double duty the last couple of weeks, uh, both the World Series and also to the Chuck Oliver show, but full-time back at it, home stretch of the season. So here we go. Kevin Neely wants to know, has Nick Saban had Alabama teams in the past where he has struggled to get his message across like this team. Yeah, the, the 12 team. Uh, I believe it was 12. Yeah, it was. I, I think actually was it was, was it 2010? I think it was 2010. 10. 10. After the national title. Yeah. Yeah, it was 12, 10. And in 11, they won too. Yeah. <clears throat> it was 10. Yeah, the 10 team had uh, pulled his hair out. Yeah, no, that was. Yeah, he's had them. He's had them. I mean, not very often, but. Look, this is for the reason that we mentioned it's it's young, and so it's not like they're not 
I don't think they're absorbing it. I think they're trying. I just think they're missing a lot of key pieces and they're missing the leadership. And so, uh, and look, I think you have to look at it with a lot of coaching changes, which he has not every message goes across just as well. I'm just wondering if Doug Marone is maybe asking a lot of his offensive linemen to the point where young guys can't get on the field sooner or young guys just not ready. It's tough. You have a true freshman play at, at left tackle, right tackle. That's, that just that rarely happened. So, uh, yeah, no, it's happened before, just not all that. And yet, we're talking about it as you know they've lost three games. You know, they just yeah. by their yeah. standards, they're not as good, not as good. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's that again, expectations. That shows you how tough it is at certain places. And you're exactly right. I mean, I, I think that probably you do see a little bit of patience from him because it's a it's not a talent issue. It, it's not a effort issue. It's just a Probably they just don't know, Chris. Like they, they just don't know how to do it yet. It, 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 the kids are trying, and it's not that they're not. I, I, I think he's patient with them because he knows if you ever notice Saban, when the team is struggling, even in a game, he's very positive. When the team is up, he's mm. he's very on them because they right. get too complacent. I don't think it's complacency. I think it's just. They're trying, and so I think he's supporting it. At the end of the game, we're happy that they fought. They made plays to win the game. You know, it's very, very positive when in the reality, you know, man, they, it didn't look really good. So it's, it's a little bit opposite the way the fans see it because the fans are frustrated. We could have lost the end. Yeah, he knows that, and he's not happy, and he's frustrated, but he also knows that frustration will only further decrease the confidence level of his team. He's trying to build those young guys up. Because that's what he's identified is the problem with this team. And can he build it up quick mm-hmm. enough to where they can beat Arkansas and, Alabama and, uh, and Auburn, which are two questionable games right now. If the good Alabama wins both of those games, but the, the Alabama that showed up against LSU, uh, they lose one of those games probably and, and go into the, the Georgia game with <laughs> just trying to spoil it for Georgia and nothing else. So yeah. I don't know. Yeah, we'll see how it all plays out. Uh, one for me, Spartan Barton. Uh, Dan, are you salty towards Dan Mullen because you have the same name? No, I, I think a couple of things here. Number one, I'm a big believer in give yourself the benefit of the doubt as a coach. And I just don't think that Dan Mullen gives himself the benefit of the doubt. I go back to the Jeffrey Simmons situation and how he handled that at Mississippi State. And I think he really poorly handled it. And it's one of those things that there are two things that can be a terrible combination for you as a coach. Number one, you're not winning very much. And number two, you're really pretty poor with the media. And I know that some people say the media, who cares about it? It's the window to your program. It's the way that the fans get to know about your program, unless they can at least being on site, see what's happening day in and day out with the program. And I think the fact that, you know, it's the the question at, at Kentucky about his offense sputtering and his, just kind of cavalier response of 382 yards that's sputtering I think that's a ridiculous answer to have the 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 situation last week where he's asked about recruiting and he says we'll talk about recruiting when it's time for recruiting when immediately everybody from every corner of the college football world was saying the hell man it's always recruiting season for you and the fact that you can't see that is why you're in the situation that you're in right now so I think if nothing else it's kind of a Jerry Maguire situation Help me, Dan, help you, because that's what it is. Dan, give yourself an opportunity here. 
like actually make an effort to have a better relationship <laughs> with not only the fan base, but also too through that the media as well. And I think just his kind of just cavalier attitude at times, it runs sour. And Chris, you know, as well as anybody, you've been around this game long enough. I call them the God coaches. And these are the types of coaches that I just can't stand. It's the, I know more football than you. Does that make you a really good football coach? Because you should know more football than me. You're in a position where you need to know more football than me. So is that the upper hand? Do you have the moral high ground on me? Like, what are you trying to get at here? And I think there's a little bit of that at play right here that I just, I think this off season, I think if nothing else, he kind of needs to have that Brian Kelly self-reflection. Like I talked about Brian Kelly, when he thought he was going to be out after the 2016 season, he said, I got to make changes. Otherwise I'm going to be in a position that I don't want to be. And that's no longer the head coach at Notre Dame and probably finding myself in a coaching position that I don't necessarily want to be in. So I think that Dan Mullen's got to make that decision. Yeah. Well said. No question. Yeah, he, he sticks his foot in his mouth, no doubt. All right, final one for you before we get out of here and head you towards the end of the week's show, and that is Kevin Neely again, uh, your Heisman favorite right now. Uh, put put a question mark above my head. I, I, I don't know, Chris. Yeah, well, look, the games in November are the ones you remember. The Heisman will be determined this month. It always is. And right now, I'd probably vote for Kenneth Walker, but, you know, it's not about right now. I mean, it's about how it finishes. Um, I mean, it, you can go every year. It's it's about that. So that's to be determined. Uh, it, it it doesn't matter right now. It, it really is about how you finish. So we'll see how guys finish the rest of the way. Um, you look at the quote-unquote favorites. Um, you're, you can be the favorite and then fall off the map. Um, Kenneth Walker goes up against Ohio State, doesn't play well. You know, he'll be out and somebody else will be in. So, um, stay tuned the next three weeks, four weeks. This is always the fun. This is always the funnest time of the year. I always look forward to it because we get to get fat at the end of the month. That's what we always look forward <laughs> to. Right, and Lord knows, right. Lord, right. Lord knows I, I, I probably, I probably need to uh, give myself more of an opportunity to not get as well. We'll worry about that later. He's Chris Landry. I'm Dan Matthews. You out there are the audience, and we always appreciate you joining us right here on SEC Football and Beyond. You can follow him on Twitter. He is at Landry Football. I am at Dan Matthews ATL. Always appreciate the follows. Always appreciate the interaction there. We'll talk to you later on in the week. This is SEC Football and Beyond. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.